This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this wonderful world of Remnant Radio. We've got an episode for you today. We're going to do a part two of the episode we did last week, just talking about when is it time to leave your charismatic church. In our last video, we talked about how sometimes charismatics misuse scripture. In this video, we're going to talk about maybe some other things that would be concerning, cause some red flags that you would need to go and either confront and or leave maybe your charismatic church. It's going to be an interesting program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. we got a good program for you today. We're talking about when it's time for you to leave a charismatic church. We don't do this uh, with any kind of glee or excitement or trying to divide any churches, but we're trying to protect those who are being led in such a way that would hurt them, hurt their Christian development, hurt the gospel witness in the earth. So hopefully you've watched video one. It's not necessary that you go back and watch that video, but we do preface the video a little bit with, hey, fight to contend for the bond of peace. Try to stay in your church. Try to confront well. Um, uh, you know, really leaving your church is really a last sort of option. Really try to strive and see the Reformation internally within your community because God can empower you to do those things as well. Uh, but before we dive into this program, where we're just going to go right into some more areas of excess that we would want to warn you about, uh, we want to remind you that Remnant Radio is an entirely crowdfunded ministry. You can support the channel uh, in the links of the description. The top two links are PayPal and Patreon. If you choose to give on PayPal, you give a one-time gift of any amount. Uh, and if you give on Patreon, you can also give a any amount, but as low as five bucks a month, if you choose to give uh, just five bucks a month, you'll get access to extra content there on Patreon. Without further ado, I want to introduce two of my buddies. These are my friends. That's Michael, and then that's Michael. They make my job easy. They have the same name. Uh, if you want to be a co-host on Remnant Radio and your name's not Michael, I'm not having you. It's not interested. Uh, it also helps if you've been discipled by Jack Deere. I don't know how many of you there are, but uh, regardless, uh, that's the criteria at this point. Uh, <laughs> Roundtree, you looking forward to this program? Yeah, man. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, man, we had such a great conversation last time. It was hard to cut it off and lots of questions in the chat. And so we are going to do a Q&A. We might do it the week after we finish this one. We'll see. But uh, anyway, it, it's an important conversation. Uh, Miller, uh, you doing you doing well over there in the basement of Denver, Colorado? I am. I was trying to remember some other things that I like when I was uh when I read the book, A Church Called Tove, there was a number of things where I was like, oh, I saw that charismatic or here, here's this particular thing can be used in a charismatic way. So you might see me looking at a book to find some extra reference things that might be helpful <laughs> for our conversation today. Yeah, that book is extremely therapeutic for anyone who's gone through any kind of church abuse or neglect. 
And, and a lot of us will have had gone through something like that. And then there's a response on the back end of, did I do the right thing? Was I in the wrong? And that book can be extremely therapeutic to go, wow, okay, this is objectively not a good thing. I can see it now. So I, I encourage that book to people who've gone through this sort of thing. Um, let's start off, guys. Uh, Michael Roundtree, you're talking about bad prophecy. Uh, this is one of the areas that we would be concerned on in charismatic space. Kind of submit it over to you, see, see what you got. Sure. Oh, well, I mean, a number of ways to talk about this. Here's one I don't like is when prophecy seems to be mixed with the prosperity gospel and people have these like grandiose prophecies of all these great things that are going to happen and, uh, and revival is going to break out wherever you go and you're going to make lots of money. And, uh, you know, these, these kind of like, I think what's hard guys is that God could speak those things. Like God could predict a revival. God could predict somebody gets wealthy. Uh, God could predict a just trail of blessings follows somebody wherever they go. Um, so I wouldn't discount prophecy just because it might sometimes say something like that, because that can actually happen. Uh, however, if somebody like, here's where I'm like specifically thinking of, I'm thinking of 2020 and everybody was like, Oh, 2020, it's the year of perfect vision. Cause God has to work with the numbers apparently like, so 2020 perfect vision. haha. Okay. So, uh, but everyone says it's the year of perfect vision and we're going to have such vision and God's going to bring clarity. And, uh, and it's just so, uh, just amazing at all the things God is going to do with the body of Christ and revival breaking out. People are going to be, uh, like in lines in the stadiums and we're just going to see Jesus more clearly. And, you know, those kinds of prophecies, first of all, building off of the, the number year 2020, I mean, you just keep a record. We just do this year after year. It never works. So I, you know, I'd be skeptical of that. Um, doesn't mean God couldn't use a number. God couldn't use a date, but I mean, he could, but like, uh, it's usually not right. But then specifically 2020, there were all these prophecies about abundance and blessing and revival. And of course that was mixed in with Trump prophecies and Trump's going to win, which, which in the minds of these, these prophets that for them was part of prosperity. It's like, Hey, our guy's going to win. And, uh, and man, I just, all, all of that is just, um, again, it's not that God can't prophesy revival and those things, but it was just so, so wrong. That was your COVID hit. Instead of stadiums being filled, churches were being emptied. I mean, you couldn't get more opposite than that. So I definitely would want to pay attention to like, if somebody has a bad track record and they keep missing it. Well, 2020 was the year of prophetic blindness, not the year of prophetic clarity. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's the irony. And uh, man, I think it was an irony from the Lord. Uh, I, I think that a, a lot of these people who are just prophesying the same stuff year after year, and it's all prosperity theology mixed with thus says the Lord. So you, so you put two things together that just like really uh, don't go well together, putting thus says the Lord into your prosperity theology. Again, God could prophesy revival on any occasion. God could prophesy that somebody is going to get rich on any occasion. I mean, he could totally do that. But man, when you see the same thing year after year after year, and it's all like peace and warm fuzzies and and uh, every form of blessing following you and the church revival, all that, and it's every year and it's and it's wrong every year. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't know what to call that, guys. Um, yeah. Because it's, like well, I said, it, it's it's hard because it it it's not like God couldn't say those things occasionally. I think the the thing that we want to avoid is when uh, when prophecy continues on and on uncorrected, and the kind of prophetic words are just clearly wrong and they're never addressed. It just sort of gets swept under the rug. 
the other thing would be like prophecies that and I think what we're actually touching on is prophecies that are coming from people's own own imaginations because they want these things to be true and or they think by declaring it and calling it prophecy that somehow their words will create these worlds where these prophecies then are fulfilled but the other thing i would mention is like um you know the the person who prophesies regularly and all of their words always seem to be you know you're going to be in stadiums doing this or you're going to be and it's always some grandioso type word that can never really be proven wrong until like 30 minutes 30 years later right like those kind of words that just don't seem to have any real meat to them and this just goes on as normal church practice in your church and never gets corrected so that's the kind of grandioso stuff yeah. that I would, I would imagine would not be good or helpful if someone gets up and starts giving a prophetic word in your local community and it's thus say the Lord God's doing a new thing and he didn't do the last seven new things he was going to do, um, th that's where I would enter in and say, hey, uh, pastor, why are we allowing this to happen? Like we're not testing the prophetic word. We're not judging the prophetic word. You're not saying this is God or it's not God. So what are we, what are we doing here? You know, like th these words aren't coming to pass, you know, and, and go and bring that to your pastor's attention. You know, uh, Michael gave an example of, you know, vague words, you know, grandiose words that have no timestamps on them. Those kinds of things I think need to be policed a little bit. Um, you know, Michael mentioned 2020, but then also the Jewish calendar stuff, right? The year of 5772 or whatever it is. You know, we did a, a, a program with Troy Brewer. You might want to go watch those reviews of his prophetic words. He constantly uses Jewish calendar stuff. And every year it's wrong. Every year it doesn't happen what he says is going to happen. But then additionally, it's just simple math. Like, you know, he'll say that, you know, the year of 5770, whatever adds up to the same number as in 2020 and 2023. And it's like, yeah, that'll happen for the next 10 years. Um, and, and I said in that program, I think something, I overstated something about the Jewish calendar. You know, if someone's using the Jewish calendar to give prophetic words, like don't listen to anything they say. And though I believe that instinctually, I also would say that God used the Jewish calendar to like, prophesy like pretty grandiose events like you know um at mount of pentecost. sinai on pentecost you know the law is given at, you know uh on a and the upper room on the day of pentecost the spirits poured out you know like passover jesus is dying you know like all of these things like there are there is uh, a truth to like um the calendar the jewish calendar and there could be truth to eschatological events in the end lining up with that calendar what I would do is I would just I would be cautious of following people that are constantly using the Jewish date as a horoscope to predict the future rather right. than maybe tying in some like historical rooted prophetic words into, you know, festivals and new moon feasts and that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, the, if the someone's thing, out there using Jewish horoscope yeah. stuff, kick rocks. Don't don't listen. Yeah. to that. The other thing this can Again, like most of these things, they can happen in non-charismatic churches. It just takes a little di different shape, and it can happen in charismatic churches. But when it happens in charismatic churches, and it and thus says the Lord is attached to a political outcome that someone is predicting, I just I I'm waiting for the person who got it right because it's again God could predict it. There's no reason he couldn't. Agabus predicts a famine that comes over the whole Roman world. Joseph is predicted to come into power before he ever comes into power. Uh, so God could predict, uh, I mean, God could certainly reveal that information in advance. Cyrus is predicted in Isaiah. I'm just saying, guys, I, I see it year after year and it's never right. I mean, like never. And I think what I get really nervous about for the charismatic church is that we end up doing what the court prophets do in Jeremiah, say like Jeremiah 23, where they're prophesying out of their own imaginations. 
and uh, and out of their own desires rather than prophesying what the Lord is actually saying. And so I think that's like in the area of politics, probably the reason that it's never right is that we're also passionate about whatever it is that we believe politically, that it's very hard to distinguish the difference between one's own desires and what God is saying into a situation. And then when you have like 15 prophetic friends who've all said this prophetic outcome, it's easy to jump on that bandwagon. I think that's what happened in 2020. But man, time and again, I just see, I see it in charismatic churches, uh, prophecy attached to politics, not saying it could never happen. If it did though, I'd have at least a yellow flag going up if that, if that was happening in my church. And I would say this, if it comes up every two and four years, if you're on the American election cycle and every time predictions are made, I would just tell you, test those prophecies. And if they're wrong and that's not addressed, man, that's a good reason to leave a, a charismatic church. They disobey the scripture that says test all prophecies. And uh, and when it's wrong, they do nothing about it. Uh, that's just that's just bad news. But typically, typically uh, my my discernment sniffer goes up whenever people are are blending politics and prophecy. So I'll tell you a short story and then you guys tell me if you would leave this church or how you, what you would, how you would respond to this. So I was uh, at a church in early January where I was being asked to come and do some prophetic ministry. And there were some other guys that were called prophets by uh, everybody there. And when these guys would prophesy to people at this conference, they never prophesied to anybody in the audience unless it was sort of like this is a year of sort of thing. Instead, they would only prophesy to the people that were on the stage or the pastors. And the kinds of words that they gave were by and large things that you could neither prove true nor wrong. Um, and so I can see the Barna uh, effect in full effect in this, that the people on the receiving end of it, they're like, yeah, that's the Lord. But it's like, well, it could have been said to anybody. Um, so it, it just wasn't, it was a lot of like kind of what we call the nothing salads. But this was the, um, this was the invited prophets. And apparently these guys come to this church rather regularly. And these are the kinds of words they give. Uh, how would you feel about that as a situation where, where there was also no testing uh, and, and nothing given that you could go right then and there, that is either wrong or that is right. For me, um, if you're being invited to a church and you're targeting pastors and you keep getting invited back, it's because you're targeting the pastors and they're the ones who have the authority to invite you back. Um, it seems as if the reason, not the reason you're doing it, but it certainly helps you to focus on those individuals is all I would say as a pragmatic thing. Um, there are times that just, I think, God gives us words that are vague. You know, Michael, you gave a, a word to a guy one time. Um, <laughs> Michael, in fact, recover. you're the guy. <laughs> no, no, like, like, think about it. Like, that word, like, you will recover. And, like, that's right. vague. And all of us have something that we need to recover from, right? We're, we live in a sinful world. Like, 90.9% .9 of people are going to have some kind of traumatic experience. Like, that's like prophesying back pain. You know, you will recover. The, the, what was specific for that guy was that that guy was praying that morning, God, will I ever recover from my divorce? You know, so like vague words can look vague on the outside and be very particular on the inside. So like, I don't, I almost, I almost want to like go to those pastors and talk to them and say, how do you know that was for you? And like, I don't want to be like a complete skeptic here, but like those just seemed really vague to me. Can you explain right. to me how you knew that was for you? 
Like I would just go do some more investigation before I'd be willing to say yes or no about it personally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to general words, I would, I would be with Josh. There can be a place for it. What I teach, uh, our prophetic teams that minister from the stage and we have a prophetic team leader who, uh, I cooperate with and coordinate with in this, but, um, Anyway, but, but what we teach our, our stage prophetic teams is that we want most of our words not to be general. Because if, if we're using a bunch, if we go up on stage and we're just doing a bunch of general words, then people start to despise prophecy. And the scriptures tell us in First Timothy or First Thessalonians 5 not to despise prophecy. But if, if words are general and untestable, we end up despising them because we're like, this doesn't really feel like anything supernatural. Uh, we, sh- we should really be aiming for the outcome of 1 Corinthians 14, 26, where the guy falls on his face and says, God's certainly among you. You read my mail. The secrets of my heart are revealed. And so, so I would say generally against general words. However, like Josh said, I think there is a place for it. I just wouldn't want to do just general words. And it sounds like that's what you were describing there, Miller. I, I think the other thing too is just for our viewers and listeners is just to consider like if let's say Miller that one of our viewers attended like their normal church was the one you just described where these dudes, these so-called prophets come in and they start doing these general prophetic words. I think the question I would encourage the congregants to be thinking about in that scenario is where is my church in its charismatic life cycle? Okay. Like for instance, was your pastor a, ba- a Southern Baptist preacher yesterday? And then he came into all the gifts of the spirit, not yesterday, maybe six months ago, maybe a year ago, he came into the gifts of the Holy spirit and he just started watching YouTube videos and reading whatever books he could find. And he's trying to take the church in a certain direction, but he doesn't know what in the world he's doing. And he's trying his best. Then he's still preaching the word of God. And he invites these prophetic people come, come in because they, they are famous for prophesying. So he invites them in. Like that's a different scenario because he's getting his feet wet and he's just trying to figure things out. I think I would have more grace for a church in that situation versus a church that they've been in the charismatic church space for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. If they're that entrenched, then they should know. They should know enough to, to do their research and be like, you know what? I'm not going to invite those people because what they call prophecy is not what the New Testament calls prophecy. And so... I would say kind of if I'm a congregant and probably guys for all the issues that we're addressing today and on the last episode, I hope you guys go back and watch if you haven't. um, That's probably always relevant is where is my church in this life cycle? Because Josh and Miller, I'm sure you've you guys have met with people on plenty of occasions where like they come into the gifts and they just don't know what to read. They don't know who to watch. They don't know where to go and they pick some of the wrong stuff. And, and yeah. honestly, I picked a lot of the wrong stuff in my early days before I'd been around the block a little bit on the cares in the charismatic neighborhood. Start realizing and, that some publishing companies are a little bit safer than other publishing companies. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're not thinking of anyone in particular, are you, Josh? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying right. if you go back and watch all of our videos <laughs> on discernment of certain books, they all come out of the same publishing house. Anyway, uh, you do whatever you want with that. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, some other things. Let's talk about uh, different things of the prophetic, because I think that this is an area where churches often create false expectations with prophetic words, um, and sometimes they 
are able to grow a very large following because the community has an expectation that this is the church that God's going to break revival out in. This is going to be the church that the next great awakening. And I say this shamefully as one who kind of believed a lot of that stuff. I was in a community and there was a lot of prophetic words about the guy that was leading our church was going to get healed and there was going to be a great awakening that comes back. And, and we were just told to kind of suffer through the church because it was like there wasn't like real strong preaching happening. There's a rotation. So we get like one really good preacher and then kind of two other preachers that were okay that would come in and fill the pulpit and then and then Sam Hen would come in and preach and he would preach you know the year of 57 whatever uh and he'd preach Jewish calendar stuff and you know it was just interesting um but like you know we would only get fed every once in a while and we were told to kind of just put up with it and deal with it and like suffer it's through it for the revival the revival's coming you know you don't you don't want to be one of those who you know in the upper room Jesus told them to wait right? Because revival was coming. And then there wasn't 500 on the Mount of, there was 500 on the Mount of Olives, but there's only 120 in the upper room. All those other people, you know, who left, man, they would have been jealous. They would have been like, man, I wanted to be there when God poured out his spirit on all flesh, but I missed it. I didn't believe the word of the Lord. I didn't contend for revival. And, and you keep people that are malnourished and not ministered to in a place of bondage when you do things like that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't have expectations and prophetic words of what God's doing, but you also need to encourage people to go if they feel called somewhere else. And if they have legitimate concerns, you don't need to gaslight them with, well, God's bringing revival here and he's not doing it there. You know, you 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 don't need to manipulate people's hearts. If you, you know, if you believe God's given you guys a prophetic word, I would encourage you not to, not to, not to, not to believe that that community is the only community that God is going to use. It's, a, it's an Elijah complex that I think is quite dangerous. You know, well, I'm the only prophet really? left sort of thing. What would you guys have it's to say just, to something like that? It's just narcissism. Yeah. It is. It, it, you, there's something where you're getting your own self-worth and self-value from being the person who gets to deliver this amazing prophetic word. And you're so convinced of it yourself because you really do think you are God's sent one. Um, uh-huh. and, and therefore everybody should believe what you say when you prophesy and hang on because it's going to come. I, I just think it's narcissism. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that, I mean, any, any church can do this where you have a leader who uses his power to mm. keep people in the church where like the greatest sin in the world is leave my specific local church. When you feel that kind of pressure to stay in a church, Somebody's got some control issues. Somebody's got some abuse issues. Doesn't have to be charismatic, but the way we do it in charismatic circles is we say, yeah, but if you leave this church, you leave where revival is going to happen. You're going to be not here when revival breaks out. If you leave this church, you'll be outside of the apostolic covering. If if you leave this church, you talked about this last week, uh, Josh, Cletus pronouncing, God is going to curse you. And send demons your way. It's Cletus sent demons, apparently. So that we where where a leader uses some sort of charismatic position, charismatic power, promise of revival, promise of some kind of prophetic word fulfilled in order to keep people. And I'm just telling you, as the sheep, like a, a shepherd's job is not to like not to strangle sheep into staying in his flock. Sheep wander. That's what they do. A shepherd should beat up wolves. A shepherd should beat up lions. But a shepherd shouldn't beat up sheep. And a shepherd shouldn't be, you know, uh, I don't know. I was. Did you guys ever hear this story? 
that uh, you know shepherds would have to like break the legs of their sheep so they couldn't wander anymore. Did you ever hear that? And people are like I you know, did. I, now I don't. I've it. actually never looked up whether that's true, but I have serious doubt as to whether that's too. true. Can you imagine a shepherd like I'm going to break the legs of my sheep? I'll show them. But that's that's what some of some of your karate supposed kid shepherds the are doing. Is, is they're <laughs> using their power to break your legs so you can't walk away. And that's not a good shepherd right there. Uh, in my church, I want to provide good pasture of the word of God, good watering holes, the Holy Spirit, so that they can come and drink, so that they'll just want to stay because this is where the food and drink is. And then my job is just protect them from wolves. And that's it. My, my job is not, I mean, yeah, do I chase down a wandering sheep? Yes, but I don't break their legs. So if... <laughs> <laughs> if you feel I go after wandering sheep, but when I do, I don't break their legs. <laughs> Sound like the most interesting man in the world, gone charismatic pastor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when I do. Oh my gosh. But I'll just say if you feel a kind of undue over the top power to stay in this church or else, dot dot dot, it's probably a controlling possibly abusive church so i i would say it's probably a narcissistic leader leading a narcissistic church and the reason i say that is uh some people don't realize that the organization itself has taken on the characteristic of that leader to where um you feel like if you leave this particular community, then you will miss out on something, whether that be revival, whether it be fulfilling your own calling, like you don't think you'll ever fulfill it if you're not a part of it. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a narcissistic church where the whole world centers around that thing. So it's somehow found the it formula for what God wants to do on the earth today. And I'd be very, very leery of that kind of language. Uh, anything where they're like, you know, new blueprint, new vision, new paradigm, new wineskin, those kind of terminology. The other thing that I would mention, and this is this is taking prophecy in a different direction, which really I don't think it happens a whole lot in the American church. I could be quite wrong about this, but I saw it happen in a lot of churches in Africa where those who are prophets in that community, they believe that they are infallible in their prophecy. And so let's say a prophet gets a word wrong they'll they'll then and the person says hey that's not true about me or that didn't come to pass and they try to get held you know hold that person accountable or at least have some sort of conversation or confrontation about it the prophet will say well then you must not have believed enough or you must not have fulfilled it so the ownership of that prophecy gets getting fulfilled is put back on the person that's another word for prophetic gaslighting um the other kind of prophecy i would avoid or a church that does this kind of prophecy is where they invite people in who can give you the ten dollar prophetic word the $100 prophetic word or the $1,000 prophetic word. This stuff actually happens. Um, now, one of the things I saw in uh, Ethiopia, I had gone there to do a conference where there was a bunch of pastors who were at odds with all of the prophets in the land because these prophets were insanely accurate. But they also were taught that they had to be infallible, otherwise they'd be accused of being a false prophet. And so when they would get stuff wrong, they would have to prophetic gaslight. They saw no other option to it. Otherwise, they would be completely discredited. And, and so when I came out there, it was to try to bring some understanding that, hey, look, not everything a person who is prophetic says 
is necessarily God. The words are meant to be tested, but that person doesn't necessarily become a false prophet because they got the words wrong. And so, and this was an environment which was just so polarizing. You either had to be dead right or you were a false prophet. And so that that was a you, you had to be dead right. You were literally dead. They yes. were <laughs> they were protecting themselves from being called false prophets, which made sense. Now the next yeah, thing I yeah. is actually extra biblical prophecies. But before we do that, it this would be a yellow flag for me, and I would want you to and all of these things that we're mentioning, guys. I want you to go to your pastor and confront. Hey, this prophetic word was given this way, and I feel like you made that equal with scripture. And hey, let's talk about this and like being concerned about things makes sense. And in making and talking to your pastor about these things, it's very possible that they'll they'll restructure things. So again, remember that. But there's something that that was coming to my mind, and I would say this is probably again a yellow flag, not something that you should leave a church over instantly, but something you still want to go to your pastor and talk about. Um, if if the extraordinary means of grace supersede the ordinary means of grace, mm, right? And, and what, what I mean by means of grace, it's a very Methodist sort of thing to say, but like the, the gathering of the assembly, the preaching and teaching of scripture, gathering around communion, worshiping God, like like is it is it this falling on the floor that everyone's coming to church for? Is it is it a prophetic word that everyone's coming to church for? Is it an ecstatic experience that everyone's coming to church for? If the reason you're going to church is outside of the ordinary means, because you can meet God in worship, in the word, in the table. You can meet God when the fellowship comes together and assembles. He's in our midst in this unique and powerful way. I, I would say that you're coming to church to receive all the good things from God, the ordinary things, and certainly the extraordinary. We want to make room for those extraordinary means of grace. But what I would really caution people about is kind of like, I hate using this word because I found people come back to me and go, oh man, I think I might have this, but I don't have another word for it. An unholy fascination with the supernatural. And I know that's kind of a weird thing to say because we all love the Holy Spirit and manifestations of the Spirit are the Holy Spirit. But when we look past like, character development, the learning of scripture, discipleship, like when we look past those kinds of things and just want to do the superpower things, like that's where there, there's something wrong in our heart and we need to see holiness and, and we need to see we need to see commitment and learning of God's scripture and discipleship and we need to see these these hearts of worship being formed inside of us and the people around us. So I would encourage people out there, man, why are you going to church and are you are you ignoring those ordinary means because you can't wait to get to the extraordinary stuff like do you look at the word of god with contempt because prophecy is really the reason you came to church do you look at the table it's like man this is just going to take up more time in our service and i you know i don't really want to do this and you know i just want to i don't want to see someone get up out of a wheelchair like are, are you looking past those like really powerful church history things that are deeply rooted in scripture so that you can do other things that like I don't know. Like I would be concerned yeah. about this. Well, that that and it's the back, ordinary it. <laughs> that and it's the ordinary means of grace that actually lead to those extraordinary means. There you so, go. you know, Acts two forty two, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, good old fashioned Bible preaching, guys. The apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and to the prayers, plural, that's corporate prayer. Okay, so all four of those together, what happens? Read the rest of it. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, the, the revival sort of atmosphere of Acts chapter 2 comes as a result of them doing those ordinary things. And, uh, and then even going backtrack, uh, they were gathered together for a prayer meeting 
before the Spirit was poured out in Pentecost. Moving forward in Acts chapter 4, they're all gathered together and they're sharing of their possessions with one another and they're fellowshipping deeply with one another. And in that context, that great grace and power is upon them all. You just see this again and again, that the, the context for outpouring for those extraordinary means of grace is they're doing the ordinary means of grace. So it's kind of cart before the horse. The other thing I want to point out, and this was in our notes for a different topic, but it's uh, I think it relates to what you said, Josh. We talked about obsession with angels and visions. Um, I, I'm very pro-angel, as long as it's the good kind. <laughs> and I'm pro-vision. God gives visions. But uh, I'm, I'm anti-obsession with angels and visions. Here's a Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Let no one who delights in false humility and the worship of angels pass judgment on you. That person goes on at great lengths about what he has supposedly seen, but he is puffed up with empty notions by his fleshly mind. He is not held fast to the head from whom the whole body, supported and knit together through its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. And so Paul was dealing with this uh, in the early church. He was dealing with people who thought, if I just mention the word vision, and if I just mention the word angel, it suddenly gives me all kinds of extra authority. And I see this in charismatics, not just in those who put it on, but in those who follow. Like if somebody says, an angel told me in a dream and an angel appeared to me. Um, I, I'm just really cautious about, first of all, anyone who says those things a lot, um, especially on the angel one, uh, anyone who's like has angels visiting them like left and right, I'm kind of like, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. But uh, the the per the kind of person and the kind of people that follow somebody because it, they think it lends them credibility to say uh, to talk about these supernatural phenomena that they experience, like oh wow, this person has such incredible supernatural phenomena surrounding them. If I uh, if I attach myself to them, maybe I'll get this kind of experience. Uh, or whatever they say must be the word of God for me because look at these experiences they've had. And, and Paul says, no, that's actually not the case. And to the church in Corinth, he says, if anyone that is a prophet or thinks he is a prophet, let him acknowledge that what I say to you is the Lord's command. And so Paul's like, I ain't impressed with the person who just walks around saying, thus says the Lord. I ain't impressed with somebody who says, I had a vision or I saw an angel. I'm not impressed with any of that stuff. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm impressed by, Paul says. Obey the apostolic command. Let him acknowledge that what I say is the Lord's command. So um, what if we were more impressed by obedience to God's word? than we were by somebody having some sort of uh, massive supernatural experience. Uh, amen to what you said, Josh, about... Say it again for uh, the people in the back. Yeah, there you go. Just uh, let's focus on the ordinary means of grace. And let's believe for the extraordinary means for God to move in power. And let's pray for it like they do in Acts 4, uh, 29 and 30. Let's, let's do those things. But... Um, but mostly, let's just do the ordinary, everyday stuff that Christians are, have been there, doing for 2,000 some, years. Something Go ahead, Miller. I would also mention is when you find yourself feeling like, if I question this person, then it feels like I'm questioning God and being disobedient to God. And if you find yourself in that kind of a relationship with a pastor, you're in big trouble. Because on some level, you've actually now placed this person as God in your life rather than your actual shepherd, um, who is God. And so I'd be very, very careful about that particular one. Um, and, and it's easy to get there, especially if you see this particular leader displaying a great deal of power. Um, he pulls people out of wheelchairs. He demonstrates signs and wonders. He has dreams that come to pass. But then yet there's these other practices that seem somewhat lacking in character. Um, so if they're sinful, unrepentant, 
but you find yourself dismissing some of those behavioral things because of the power, you're in a bit of a tricky situation. You should be able to confront that person regardless. Um, and, so again, if you find yourself in that situation of feeling like if I question them, it's like questioning God, there's something off. There's an entire stream of individuals. I just want to Becky back on what Ramtree was talking about, about visions and angels going on in great detail about visions and angels. Okay, let's say if someone came to you and said, hey, I had this really weird vision. This is what happened. Submit it to them and you move on. Nothing weird about that. If you preach a sermon based off of a dream, you, you preach a sermon based off of a vision, if you, if you preach a sermon based off of an angelic encounter you've had, that's yep. something that I would be more concerned about. In fact, there's an entire stream of individuals. I've never mentioned this guy's name on air, and I don't, I don't dislike the guy. I don't. I have no. But the fact that he's done this so many times, it concerns me. And again, I'm, guy. Maybe I won't mention his name, but like, you'll know who he is if you listen to him. That's for sure because it comes up a lot. But he went in ward in D.C. in the spirit with Michael the Archangel, Arch, Arch, Arch Archangel, Archangel. Archangel. I'm saying that. Yeah, so like he'd, he'd go to Washington, D.C., and he had this prayer. God told him to do this. So he'd go, and he prayed, and this big supernatural thing happened. And, but like he goes like from city to city telling the story about warring with Michael in the heavenlies supernaturally. And I'm just like, you can't preach a whole sermon about a dream and a vision. Like it's, I know like it's a story, and, and maybe it did happen. Like I'm not even questioning the fact that it happened. I'm actually just saying, why are we emphasizing it? Why is it an entire sermon? People have come to gather around the teaching of God's word. They've come to gather around um, being conformed to the image and likeness of Christ, being transformed with the renewing of their mind. They're coming together to 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 receive what the good gifts that God has given. And we're hearing this story about your your spiritual accolades. Like, that's not great. Um, and Ooh. maybe I'm making a bigger of deal than it is. When oh, I was around the orbit of this ministry, uh, it seemed that story came up a lot. Um, yeah. So I, I think my we should be. And maybe he's grown out of it. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think that it can be okay to share a massive angelic encounter or encounter with the Lord or something like that, because, I mean, we have these stories in the book of Acts, so someone must have, you know, must have told about their encounters. Like, I think there can be a place for it, but, but I think we should, we should walk in this sort of humility where it's like, I'm not just going to, like, just go around and talk about my angelic encounter all the time. Like, I, I don't think we do that. I mean, when Paul has this vision of being caught up into the third heaven, he says in the body or out of the body, I don't even know, but he talks like it's, he's in the third person. Like I knew a man who, but he's really clearly from the context talking about himself. Um, there's some debate theologically as to why he does that. But to me, it seems quite obvious because the, the context is pride versus humility to keep me from becoming proud or conceded by these uh, by these incredible visions, dot dot dot. Like, um, so I I would just say Paul seems to be trying to portray a level of humility. Like he finds a place. Like there can be a place to share a vision that's grandiose uh, that you're involved in. However, we should we should really walk in fear and trembling in how we share those things. And I I'm troubled by the flippancy with which some charismatics talk about it. Like, oh yeah, you know, like me and Michael, the archangel, we were like having a cheeseburger the other day. And like, he was like, Hey, supersize me. And I was like, is that symbolic? <laughs> oh, and he gosh. was like, no dude, I'm like literally. I kept going, dude. It's too, too. <laughs> uh, here's, here's a little shifter. Um, but another one I would put in there is 
people who get prophetic words that have to do with eschatology and the return of Christ. As soon as somebody uh, starts predicting a date, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, out on that. I'm running yeah. from that one. Uh, or yeah. here's one, Miller, on a related note, not just eschatology, but it applies often to eschatology. Um, when someone says, like, you know, I was praying and fasting and the Lord showed me this interpretation of Revelation. Or yeah, this interpretation. Some like, new novel. Like, for instance, um, you know, like if somebody is post-millennial and they're like the lord show an angel came to me and showed me post-millennialism is accurate and every other would so like i have to take your interpretation of the bible because an angel visited you i just get real nervous about that kind of talk where uh the lord showed we me have my interpretation is the right interpretation now should we seek the lord even fasting and prayer in order to receive the illumination of the Holy Spirit, that we might understand the scriptures 100%. But do we want to teach in such a way that we're adding to the validity of our interpretation, particularly on debated doctrines, by saying, <laughs> uh, by saying the Holy Spirit showed me that in this area that's been debated for 2,000 years, I got it right. I'm, I'm against that. I don't you know, well, I know that anybody practice, who's a hundred percent on these kind of things, like I know because God showed it to me, like it, yes, it didn't just there, have to there be, there be a theology, interpretation of scripture. It could be a lot of things. It could be about choices they made. Well, I know because God showed me anytime they're playing the God card on a regular basis as defense for everything they do or everything they believe, you've got a problem. Now, I know yeah. that's true of other ministries, but for me personally, God, God did appear like <laughs> I Michael, the archangel. He did appear to me in wrestling tights and biker boots and did tell me that there was a demon of Calvinism. So I, I think generally speaking, oh, generally speaking, uh, uh, you know, you, know, you had me speaking, for a minute there until you got to that Calvinism part. Until I got to the like, Calvinism? Because you sure knew it was now. Michael. He, he, had this, he had this you angry this. face and he was wearing wrestling tights. So you knew it was Michael, right? <laughs> Oh, so gosh. for those of you who don't know, uh, there there is a story about Bob Jones that involves, uh, w wasn't it Michael the Archangel and someone in yeah. wrestling tights or something like that? Yeah, Chris Valentin had a dream and he knew it was the angel because he described him as like a Native American looking dude with an angry face and wearing wrestling tights and biker boots. It's just, just, it's a weird story. Anyway, it's all that to say, I'm ju weird. I just, it's not true. Oh, I don't know the demon of Calvinism. You hear Calvinist stories about that. My brothers. You hear stories about that and you're like, you know what? I get cessationism. Like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well played. All right. Yeah, so, well played. so we've talked about authoritarian leadership in the NAR already. Maybe we should talk a little bit about extra biblical practices. And um, I know we're kind of rounding up on probably sure. about five more minutes here. Uh, so maybe we'll finish with this. one. We might have to do a part three, guys. But um, extra biblical practices. Um, so, mm, okay, Joshua Miller. Miller, it, you, I think it's your turn. Okay, let's say, Miller, you're just congregant, going to church. Your church seems pretty fine. You've been going to it for like six, eight weeks, and you're like, maybe I'll, I'll go to their membership class. And then you hear during testimony time, the person is talking about how they were grave soaking and they they went to the grave of Billy Graham and soaked up his anointing. <laughs> I can't this is like even a real question. <laughs> you thought this okay? So they and they believe they have Billy Graham's mantle, and they've led like 
50 people to Christ in the last two weeks and everybody applauds, do you leave that church? Yeah, I try to correct it first. And if they refuse to acknowledge it, it's wrong and repent from it, I'm out. Same thing with spirit travel. And here's the difficult part. We say extra biblical practices, but people use the scriptures to defend a lot of these practices. Like Paul, That's when he true. says, I know about it, but a guy, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but he traveled, right? Or he says, though, I've handed this one over to Satan, though not present with you, but when I'm with you in the spirit on the Lord's day, I've handed this one over to Satan. So they'll use these passages to describe these experiences as though this should be normative Christian practice. And I would say a lot of these, right, astral projection, or right. they're, 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 um, they're taking back that what's been stolen at the new age. The new age is a counterfeit, but we have the real thing. So yeah, we don't, we don't do necromancy, but as believers, we can commune with Paul, the apostle and Jeremiah and, you know, fill in the blank. I, I would say that these practices are not biblical. However, people who are defending these practices do try to make them sound biblical but they are bad. And and honestly, also, I, I think they're bad to the degree where they get people demonized. In the illustration that Michael gave, we're assuming that all these these activities that we're talking about are sanctioned, right? So like, let's say we were in a Bible study and like we're in a cessation, like we're going to Tom Shriner's church, okay? And we're in a cessationist church and some guy's like, I sucked up the grave soul of Billy Graham. And now I'm walking around in Billy Graham energy. Like, let's just say that happened. Like, that's not normal in that church. There's just some guy that goes to that church and you're going to have in every church and especially in charismatic churches where stuff is actually happening, you're going to have weird people show up saying all kinds of stuff that Definitely. ain't sanctioned. So just because one guy says something wild about sucking up grave juice doesn't mean that it's a normative thing in the church. But if it's in a membership everywhere. class, <laughs> if it's yes. in the membership class, yeah, Go. you might, you might know that, uh, that it's a normative <laughs> thing in that community. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is, just teeny tiny bunny trail, teeny tiny. Okay, Miller, you quoted. I always know you're going to say something really anointed when your camera gets all glitchy and like your internet slows down. <laughs> like you were talking about 2020 perfect vision, and your camera got glitchy, and I was like, "Is the Lord trying to say something? What is happening?" Okay, right. he's like, <laughs> "Go ahead, go Rocky. down that trail, Michael." Okay, so Miller, you quoted from First Corinthians five, like when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you deliver such a man over to the over to Satan. Okay, so he's talking about church discipline, but Paul is suggesting that even though he's not present, his spirit is present. So Miller, you were talking about how some charismatics will use that to be like, oh yeah, Paul's into astral projection. You know, he can he can project his spirit into that place. They'll they'll never say astral projection. They'll call it traveling in the spirit. Traveling in the spirit. Just would be, I want to re accurately uh, represent it. Right. So um, here, what do you guys think of this as interpretation that when Paul says, and my spirit is present, that he's thinking like a, an eschatology of Hebrews 12, like we're in the, in like, <laughs> the, like this last day's church, this last day's gathering where we're no longer going to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion and to the, the heavenly assembly. And, uh, and so like, it's in the context of assembly, Hebrews chapter 12, and, and it's picturing us like local church believers gathering. But as we gather, we are there with the spirits of the righteous made perfect and so on. Like he has this big, long list. And so, uh, do you think it's possible that what Paul's talking about there in first Corinthians chapter five is that like, um, 
is the idea that when we gather in a in a local church gathering, we are in a sense participating in that great eschatological gathering uh, with all the saints who've gone before and having that whole cloud of witnesses. That there's sort of like this uniting of heaven and earth, so that we're in a sense worshiping with all the believers across the face of the earth and all the believers in heaven as well. We did this episode, Sacrament of Assembly, where he kind of about this. Um, do you think that when Paul says, in my spirit is present, that he's talking about in that eschatological sense, where it's like, you, you know, in the spirit, we're kind of like on the Lord's day, we're all in this eschatological gathering, something like that? You think that could be? Dude, I don't know. Because he says, I've handed this one over to Satan. Like what did, what does mm-hmm. he mean by being there in the spirit in that eschatological sense, but then handing them over to Satan in a very real sense through excommunication? Guy just well, he says you mean, are to deliver this man over right. to Satan. It's it's like sort of I am in agreement with you. But doesn't he doesn't I thought he says I have handed this one over. Uh no. Uh, you're you're thinking of uh where Paul think I think he says like I've handed over Alexander and Hymenius over to Satan. So, he says yeah. that too. But but the the idea that when we gather together in the assembly heaven comes down, we go up, you know, like that that kind of the thinning of sacred of, of the heavens and the earth kind of crossing over and creating this I don't know I hate saying like bridge because people are going to think I'm like some kind of new age wackadoodle. Um, but like there is a reality to the spiritual presence of Christ. You know, if you take a Calvinistic view of it, like, you know, communion, you're going up, you're being caught up into the heavenlies and you're with Christ. And, and as the assembly, every church on the Lord's day gathered together and they worship and they take the table. If they're being caught up into the heavenlies, then, then we're all present with one another in that kind of heavenly spiritual place. So, uh, is it possible that that's what's happening and that there is a unified view of the church and that we in Western individualism view ourselves as me and my church, you know, the, the worship center of United Apostolic Baptists, you know, like that's, that's me and my church and that's who I am. And the 30 people that are with me, that's, and God comes down and he's with us. But is there an idea of the universal church when Paul is talking that we are all caught up into a, at a heavenly place with him in the spirit, not like literally, not like I'm aware and I'm walking around seeing angels and, you know, thrones and candlesticks and, you know, altars of incense, but like <laughs> spiritually this is happening. Like, like the bread becomes flesh and the, and the blood becomes, or the, the, the wine becomes blood in kind of like a spiritual sense in that sense. Sure. Maybe that's what he means, but maybe he means like in the ministry too, like, uh, Elijah came, uh, in the spirit of Elisha or Elisha came in the spirit of Elijah, right. And John the Baptist and, and the spirit of Elijah, Elijah came upon him, you know, like there's this kind of, uh, ministry sense where Paul is saying, Hey, my spirit is with you as in like, that's my ministry. That's what I'm a part of doing. And like, and that's with you when you're doing it. Maybe he means it in that sense too. I don't know. Um, what it right. definitely doesn't mean is what you see in Dr. Strange. Like he's not like, <laughs> astral projecting and like going and visiting people his body you know like just falls over and his spirit comes flying out it's definitely not that um anyway that's what it's not well but what i would love to see would be a you know a charismatic person who's going to quote that in favor of some some kind of spirit travel i would like to see them instead of proof texting a verse and not wrestling with any of the historical interpretation because i mean there's like a i mean a lot of people will just understand this as like 
well, Paul, it's kind of like we say, well, I'm with you in spirit. Like, I'm not really with you, but I'm kind of like my heart is kind of deal. Some people understand it that way. Some people would understand it in a more eschatological way, uh, like what we've been talking about. Well, uh, nobody understood what, it as. Nobody orthodox <laughs> right. understands it as spirit travel. None. So I would just love to see, like, if charismatics are doing it, like, let them wrestle with the text. Don't just proof text and use something in a complete wrong way. So I think that would be my appeal. This has made me really curious about what the Passion Translation translates this one. But <laughs> okay, so I might have got, had enough bounty trails for today. We've got grave sucking. We've got astral projection that we've touched on. We've touched on Courts of Heaven recently. Go watch that video because it, it's just, it's not biblical. You're going to get demonized if you do it. I, I can almost say that. Like, play with the Ouija yes, board and do Courts will. of Heaven. It's going to mess you up. Don't do it. Um, anyway. How about the, Tongues Without Interpretation? bad that's an you, extra biblical you, practice would extra you biblical in that we're commanded not practice. to in the assembly without interpretation man all of our classical pentecostal churches that like watch our show regularly are like they're out they're like mm, we're gone uh i i agree that it's wrong like i i, I want interpretation and i would want to push well, it's, for it's disobeying in local context. i agree okay. i mean i wouldn't go to all a church right. that does that yeah. No, uh, but I do think there is such a thing as being a tongues Nazi. And here's what I mean by that. Um, so 1 Corinthians Dude, 14. Did you say that game, to a bro. Jewish man? Bro, <laughs> Sorry. Why would you say a tongues Nazi? You just Sorry. called me a tongue Nazi. <laughs> you just I called a call Jewish guy. That. Ah, no. You might as well have. No, no, no. Let's imagine. <laughs> let's imagine there are three Christians praying together. And two are praying for healing of one of the Christians in a private meeting. And one of those Christians begins to pray in tongue. And they're all best friends and they all know they all speak in tongues. And one of those right. starts to speak in tongues. There are some people who would say, ah, you violated 1 Corinthians 14. You should have never spoken in tongues out loud uh, without an interpreter. And so that's sin. I would say they're, they're taking oh, it out of context. That's false. 1 Corinthians 14 is about a public church gathering. The equivalent to what Paul's talking about would be if I had somebody stand on the stage and speak in tongues with no one to interpret it. Or what happens often in charismatic circles is a worship leader will say, hey, everybody speak in tongues, sing in the spirit. And everybody, bah, 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 sing in the spirit together. And surely there's an unbeliever in the room thinking, this is a crazy town. And so that's the kind of thing that Paul's trying to forbid. That is in not just extra, but anti-biblical practice. But a couple of Christians praying together or even a Christian prayer meeting where it's very definitely all Christians present. Those kinds of things are, are not really what first Corinthians 14 is about. And I, I often will pray in tongues over somebody. Um, but if I don't know them, I'll usually ask if, if I don't know them, but I perceive they're a Christian, I might say, Hey, would you feel comfortable if I prayed in tongues over you? Um, so I don't want to freak them out, but it's not really, a first Corinthians 14 violation, unless there's a danger of an unbeliever coming in. So I yeah, would say that. one of the things that, that'll happen in Pentecostal churches is they'll say things like, I'm giving, I'm not giving a prophetic word in tongues. So there doesn't need to be interpretation. I'm praying in the spirit and they want to make those two separate kinds of tongues. And they'll say, so everyone pray in tongues right now, build yourself up in the faith, pray in tongues. We're not, we don't need an interpreter because we're not giving a prophetic word. Um, and they'll say that, you know, I'm, I'm praying to God. No one understands what I'm saying. What they're doing is they're creating two separate categories of tongues. Let me just ask this question for those who have that position. Let me just submit this to you humbly. Um, 
there is a person in your midst who hears you praying in tongues instead of prophesying in tongues, and they hear you and they think they're crazy and out of your mind. The application of the unbeliever in the room is exactly the same. And if Paul's concern is that something disorderly takes place that would cause people not to cooperate together and it would prevent uh, an unbeliever from understanding what's taking place, then it's impermissible in the local assembly. So you can create two separate categories of tongues if you want, even though I don't think that's what the Bible is saying, and I don't think that's clear in the scriptures at all. I think what happens is there's a practice in the local assembly that we're trying to justify, and we're looking for different kinds of tongues in the text. One that's a personal private prayer language, and one that is a public use of tongues with interpretation. Nowhere in the Bible will you see that. You'll see one gift yeah. used in two different ways, personal, private, prayer language, and public use. But no matter what, that public use should always have an interpretation if there's a possibility of an unbeliever being present. So yeah. that would be my, this, my this contention. Happened, this was a regular thing at my old church, one that I would constantly argue about. And I, I would just say it a little bit further in stronger language. Uh, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. When you it's when true. you justify speaking true. in tongues by just creating a new label for it, you're quite literally doing what Jesus told the Pharisees not to do, which is right. nullify the clear command of Scripture by your own tradition. That's right. So I agree. It's unbiblical. Yeah. Okay. I think we should probably close it out. But before we do, I'm coming back to my bunny trail, Josh. I know you hate this. I can feel <laughs> your hatred of what I'm doing. No, but, no, no. Uh, anytime me Nazi, someone, anytime someone source reads the Passion Translation, I'm, I'm happy. I actually looked it up. <laughs> Read it. I, I can feel your desire to keep time. So, um, yeah, keep going. <laughs> so, Passion Translation, the translation is reasonable, but the footnote, quite interesting. So, translation is, so call a meeting when you gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus, and you know my spirit is present with you in the infinite power of our Lord Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, like, I click on infinite power of our Lord Jesus, the footnote. Uh, it says, God has given Paul exceptional ability to have his spirit present along with the power of God in their meetings together. Is Brian Simmons saying that this is about spirit travel? Is that how you interpret that? I would say that's exactly how you interpret that. Exceptional ability that to have his power. spirit present. So yeah. Paul has a supernatural ability to send his spirit to other places. That's the passion translation for you, Paul or Paul. I just called you Paul, Josh. It's the biggest compliment. Oh, that's, no. that's Paul's face right now in heaven. <laughs> Josh, what do you think? <laughs> I'm grave soaking Paul right now. That's what I'm doing. I'm channeling that spirit. Dude, I, I can see a nope. Pauline mantle on you. <laughs> okay, guys. All right, guys. Listen. I think that's about let, let, we'll we do a part three on this. We don't want to mock, but simultaneously, that's ridiculous. And that's not what the Bible says. And that's what you want the Bible to say written into a footnote and or written into a text of scripture. Um, we're always cautious because here's the thing. We we, we believe what we're saying is true, uh, but we simultaneously know that there's a fine line between having a good time with friends, chuckling, cutting up, and then mocking and scoffing. And we don't want to do that. There are people out there who are doing some of these charismatic practices that we've talked about, some of this, you know, hyper charismatic supernatural stuff, the misuse of scripture, and they generally love God. They generally want to see people come to salvation. They're just off. And and when you have, you know, a, a sniper, you have a, you know, a little 
uh, uh, scope on your sniper, one little notch off, might be a few inches, a couple feet in front of you. You might be off just a little bit, but downrange, you could be you could be feet yards off from target. And I think what we're trying to do in conversations like this is there are people out there, things are just a little bit off here, a little bit off there. And if you have a lot of those things built up over time, you can really create a destructive and harmful environment for local congregations, for people. And if you're a part of communities like that, you're hearing these things, we'd encourage you confront well, we we can we're human and and we like to cut up and be stupid and sometimes we 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 move over into areas of like laughing and chuckling about things but generally speaking i think the passion translation is grievous to god i think the courts of heaven is grievous to god i think grave soaking and and strategic spiritual warfare depending on how you're defining it you know and all these other things they can they can be dangerous and bad for you and we don't want to laugh about it people who are doing that like you're in danger we, we care about you we love you and we want to encourage you to come out of these things so uh anyway i, I want to be very clear in all of this you know this video is is to submit to you and hope that if you're in a space that's doing this or if you're in a space that's leading this try and change the direction that you guys are going in because if you can fix some of these problems you can be right on track with being a word and spirit church, growing in the knowledge of God's word and the power of his spirit. You could really be in a space where you're able to, I think, encounter the Lord in all of his fullness. You know, you might just have a couple things off that you need to adjust, you need to check. Um, you know, look at the way that you're interpreting scripture. Look at the way that you're pursuing God. And, and, and do you have biblical grounds to do the spiritual practices you're doing? And if you can adapt those things and change those things, you know, there's definitely room for growth um, and, and health in the community that you may lead or you're a part of. So uh, not all hope is lost. Um, contend for the better. You know, set your aim higher. We've not yet all attained, but, you know, we press on to the mark of high calling. Anyway, I've monologued for too long. Roundtree, do you want to close us out? Say nice things to people as we leave? I could do that. You guys are good enough. You're smart enough and Doggone it. People, People like, like, like you. you. <laughs> <laughs> what is that Josh actual that, that's from? Josh probably oh, doesn't know it. When that, when that yeah. whole Saturday Night Live thing was out. Hey, no. listen, I know I have more gray hair than all of you and, and probably less hair than all of you at the same time. Um, <laughs> but, but simultaneously, no. No, I don't think... I mean, I, I might have missed that episode of SNL or those reruns. <laughs> oh, bro. We were, okay. You're showing your age. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you like this episode, like it. Hit that like button. It's a thumbs up. And uh, hit that subscribe button. Share. Uh, help get this episode out there. And um, and so also, if we are a crowdfunded ministry. And so if this ministry has blessed you, hope you would consider donating. You can donate through Patreon, which is a recurring as low as $5 donation, you get access to exclusive content, or you can make a one-time don donation to Patreon. And so uh, we would really appreciate it. One-time donation to that. PayPal. You, had, you one had one job. You had one job, Michael. What did I say wrong? You, you said what a one-time donation to Patreon or give on Patreon at $5 a month. Oh, thank you. Said you. Patreon I had one. I had one job. PayPal. Thank you. PayPal. So uh, <laughs> anyway, guys, God bless you. Have a great week. I'm leaving the camera on you as punishment. <laughs> Come on, dude.
want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.